Well, today we launch this uh, new sermon series. If you're new to our church family, what we normally do is we do our messages in series. So we'll talk about the same thing, same topic, same thing for several weeks. And today we're starting a new seven-part series where the church actually chose the topics. And many of you have heard this several times now, but we took a survey back at Easter and uh, we asked the church, hey, what do you want us to talk about? We took the occasion that was Easter where everybody's here the same weekend. And some might say, well, the preaching topics, that's your responsibility. You guys just figure that out. Bring it to us. We'll take notes. That's fine. Um, but, well, not entirely. If it read through the Gospels, many of Jesus' sermons were actually sparked by a question or a response to a question. And the, there's even New Testament letters that were written. The writer sat down originally to write that, to answer a question that the community had and to clear something up for them. So we compiled a list of your most asked questions. And that list then became a roadmap for this series. And this first message is the most asked question, and it's what's God's will for my life? And that's a great question to ask, one of the best questions to ask. And I'm proud of you for asking it. Because I don't think most people care. I'm proud of you for asking it because frankly, really a lot of people, they just don't care what God's will for their life is. And, and too many of us say, well, I just want to do life my way and I want God to bless my will and we don't want to know his will. And so I'm proud of you for asking because there's no better way to live your life than as someone whose will is surrendered to the will of God. It's the best thing you could ever do for your life here on earth, and especially your life in eternity. A few years ago, I was at a funeral, and I've hesitated to tell this story because um, it's a little bit heavier than maybe what you're looking for today. But uh, I just haven't been able to get it out of my mind as I prepared this, this message. And I said a funeral, and it was a graveside service. Um, it's a really beautiful service, and he was a military veteran. They honored his, his military service, and that was great. And I was honored to sing at the service, but I'll never forget it at the end when I was packing up my guitar, and people just started to begin to visit. Uh, the man's son said loudly, and, and even kind of as a celebration, he did it his way, didn't he? And I just remember that statement ringing out like gunfire in my ears, that he did it his way. And I remember thinking, I don't know if, we, if that's something we really want to celebrate right now. And there's not too much time that goes by where I don't think about that service and the man that we buried that day and the closing statement pronounced over his life. And, and I think about the result of doing life my way. And honestly, I, I cringe at the results of doing life my way. Yes, the results on earth, but certainly the eternal results from saying, I'm going to do it my way. And the ramifications are, are seriously just more than I think we could bear. James says it this way. And we just finished our series in the book of James. You'll remember this. It's James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city, that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on some business, we'll make some money. In other words, listen, those who have a will, those who have a plan, those who have a way. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? So you thought your life was all about 
who to marry and, and, and what job to get and what profession and what promotion and, and what school to go to and what sport to choose as your main sport and where to live when you retire. And he says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So the temporary questions aren't really the, the right questions to ask. He says, there's eternal questions. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In other words, I want to align my heart. I want to align my desires. I want to align my life with God's will. And, and I want my will submitted to the will of God. 1 John two seventeen says it this way. The world and its desires pass away. So the temporary questions, the temporary problems, the things that we're concerned about today, don't get me wrong, they're important. And God cares about the smallest detail of your life. He does. He cares who your friends are. He cares who you date. He cares who you marry. He cares where you live. Uh, the smallest detail, he, he cares about it. Where your kids go to school, God, he cares. But it says the man who does... And say this with me, the will of God lives forever. And I want to help you with this today because many of us are in a decision dilemma. You're trying to figure out some things. Do I join the military? Do I go to call this college, that college? Do I do this major or that major? Do I I marry this person? Do, Do we have kids now or do we wait? Do we buy a house or do we rent for a little while? Do we move for this job? Do I start pulling social security right now or wait a little longer do I get a second opinion on this problem do I do this treatment or this treatment I I don't know do I have this surgery do I I get a second opinion do do I help this family member or do they need to experience the consequences of their decision what do I what do I do how do I know where God is leading me and and how do I recognize his will and the Bible says that God's sheep God's people, they know God's voice and they respond to it. They're able to discern it. They're able to respond to it and say no to the stranger's voice and no to the enemy's voice and even no to themselves. So how do you get tuned in? Well, there's a lot of bad methods out there and a lot of different things people try. Um, There's the flip and point method where you just get, get an issue and you say, okay, I'm just going to open the Bible and flip through it and point, and there's my verse. There's my verse for this season, and that's dangerous because you could go to Job 19:17. It says, my breath is repulsive to my wife, and I am rejected by my own family. <laughs> <laughs> or there's what's called the fleece method. It's a conditional method where it, it's... It's this if it's this way, it's that if it's that way. So yes, if it's raining, and no, if it's not raining. Uh, like the guy who was going to Krispy Kreme, and he said, Lord, if it be thy will that I get a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts all to myself, there'll be a, a spot or open, a parking spot open right in front of the door. And lo and behold, the fourth time around the block, there it was open <laughs> for him. And, <laughs> and we wonder, you know, is God's will specific or is it broad? Here's what I believe the best way to do this is. is I'm going to give you this message in two halves. And the first half of the message is um, very theological. It will help you know how the will of God is framed. Then it's going to turn very practical. And we'll make it so simple that you could take this message home and put it into practice this afternoon, this evening. 
and start filtering your decisions through this outline. So I'm really hoping you will take notes today because this is one you, you will want to pull out again. But let me give you the theology first. God's will has a zone, and that zone is framed by two borders or boundaries. And you could think about it like a soccer goal, and it's framed by these goalposts. Or maybe you're into golf, and, and you think about it as like this fairway that's rough on both sides. So you got the woods and hazards and, and ponds and stuff, but you got this fairway in the middle, and it's, it, it's, it's bordered. And it's framed on one side by the sovereign will of God. That's the first frame, write that in, the sovereign will of God. And that's what God is doing on the earth. That's what the sovereign will of God means. And if you want it in two words, you want it even more simply than that, it's God's works, the works of God. And God's will for our lives is never outside of his works, what he's doing and accomplishing on the earth. God has a will And we want to know God's will for our lives, but God's will for our lives is never outside of that frame. It's never outside of what he's doing, what he's accomplishing. So one of the easiest ways to understand God's will for my life is to understand his will. Jesus thought this was so important that he taught us to pray this way. He says, before you ask for your daily needs, say, your will be done, Lord. Your kingdom come. I'm going to focus on what you're doing first. And we need to get to know the sovereign will of God. And we'll come back to this. But let's talk about the other side of this frame. Another border or boundary to the will of God is the moral will of God. And the moral will of God can be defined as what God has already said in his word. What God has already said in his word. Or more simply put, it's the ways of God, God's ways. And we have to align ourselves with what he has said in his word. Because God's never going to ask us to do anything. He's never going to ask us to do something in life that's going to contradict his word. It's never going to be outside of his ways. Several different illustrations I could, I could use for this about God's ways in the Bible. I felt like God kept letting, leading me back to this one. It's in 1 Thessalonians, and it says that it's God's will that you stay away from sexual immorality. The word in the Greek is pornea, and it's literally defined in the Greek as any sexual sin outside of marriage between one man and one woman. And it means nothing, just nothing outside of that covenant marriage relationship. And that's what it means. So when we get out of the moral will of God, out of God's ways, it's, it's really no longer important to ask, should I take that job? Should I buy this? Should we move here? Should we do this? Those questions, they, they don't matter because you, you're not in the frame. You're not in the zone. And you just got to say, well, how do I get back in the zone? And you just focus on God's ways and you get back into the ways of God. And then the third element I think this is what you're really asking is the personal will of God. And that's what God desires for my life. So we would say, well, that's God's will, God's personal will. And I just pause here and tell you that what God desires for your life is better than what you desire for your life. I guarantee it. And what God has planned for your life is more fulfilling than what you have planned. And what God, how God thinks about you and, and what he wants to see your life do is, 
is a lot better than you could have ever hoped or dreamed. And we could bring up person after person after person on this stage. And they would tell you that, yeah, God's, God's will or what God wanted me to do, it, it seemed constricting at first maybe. It seemed confusing because I had it all looking good on paper right here. And so why would you want me to do that? But, but when I surrendered to it and when, and when I embraced it, They'd say, my, my relationships are better. My life is better. It's, it's, it's better than what I had planned. And here's the key statement pulling all of these three together. Write this in. The more I get to know the sovereign will of God, and the more I get to know the moral will of God, the better I'll be able to discern the personal will of God. That's the theology. In other words, before we get specific, and we'll do that in a minute, but it must begin with us being in the frame, in the zone, so we can align ourselves with God. And I can simplify this theology even more than that into something you can remember a little bit better. I want to illustrate this for you, and it being NFL kickoff weekend, I'm going to illustrate it this way. In football, you have these two uprights, two goalposts. And to kick an extra point or a field goal, the ball's got to go through the uprights. It's got it's to split the uprights. And it's right or wrong. Two guys watch, and the ball either makes it through or it doesn't. So how, do we, how does that fit in? Well, I left some space for you to draw this on your outline. And if you're more of a golfer, you may want to draw a fairway. Or if you're more of a soccer person, you draw a soccer goal. Or you could buy, draw, you know, the foul lines in baseball. But whatever you draw, get this down quickly. The point is that on one side, you have God's ways. And on the other side, you have God's works. And God's personal will, God's will for your life, God's personal will, is found only within God's ways and God's works. You will not find it outside of God's ways or God's works. So how do you get there? I think there's two simple questions that can help a lot. And the first one is, what am I doing that I should not be doing? Simple question, but if you open your life up to God and ask God that question, it, it helps you get into the moral will. It helps you align yourself with God's ways. I think we should ask that question regularly. I think we should ask it frequently. Ask God, Lord, what am I not even aware of in my life? That Show me, is there something I'm doing that I should not be doing? And if you open your life up to God, he will show you. The next question that can help you get into, into these uprights, into this zone, is what am I not doing that I should be doing? And that question will help you align yourself with the sovereign will of God. That question will help you align yourself with the significance of God's works. Because God, God's will and my will, they, will, they coincide. God's not going to ask you to do something that's outside of that zone. This is why we encourage you to serve. And we do it a lot. We, we have an obligation as a local church body to give you an opportunity and encourage you to serve. And I would encourage you who call Rockbrook home. Now, I know there's many of you who just started coming over the summer or you're just checking us out. And I, I would encourage you to take your time a little bit. Some of you need to rest from where you've been. Some of you just need to enjoy it uh, for a bit. But some of you have been coming here for a while and you're still sitting in the stands and it's, it's, 
I mean, you want to know God's will for your life? Well, part of it is to be involved in God's works and to be involved in something God is doing. And God's involved in the local church. And we're seeing lives change here. God is doing, doing a work among us. And I don't ask you to get involved for our benefit. We actually do it for your benefit because when you serve God, it brings tremendous clarity into your life and to what God has for you personally. So now that I've given you the theology of God's will, now, now what you can do is have something to filter the decisions, the daily decisions. How do you make decisions and make sure they're in the will of God? And I want to give you six tests. I call them tests because of this verse right here, 1 John 4.1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. And uh, you could maybe put in another word there. Don't believe every impression. Don't believe every opportunity. Don't believe every uh, good and exciting thing that looks fun. Don't trust all those, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How do you do that? The Bible is very vocal on this subject. There's filters or tests that you can put your decision making through. Bigger decisions, littler decisions. I give you these six tests and I'm going to even give them to you with a certain level of a guarantee. That if you take this outline, really apply it to your life and ask these questions, you're going to walk away with tremendous clarity from God of what the next step is and what decision to make. The first one is, am I in a right relationship with God? You start here. Make sure you're in the zone. Before you make a decision, make sure you're not doing it out of hurt or out of a wound. Just see how close, how close you can get to God. If you have a big decision you got to make, the first thing you ought to do is just see how close can I get to God. And look at this verse, Romans 12, 2. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that's the first one. Make sure you're in a right relationship with God. Make sure you believe the gospel. That that's what makes us right with God. Believe that Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life. That he was God in the flesh and he lived the perfect, sinless life that you could never live. And that he died in your place. Like when we say Jesus died for you, like he died for you. Like he died your death, the one you were supposed to die in your place. And then he rose from the grave, giving eternal life to all who believe it to all who proclaim it, who wrap their lives around it. And you can't get God's will for your life because you can't get anything from God unless you go through Jesus and you believe in Jesus. And there's nothing else that makes you right with God other than that. No good work, not the best plan. That's it. And when you believe it in your heart, you're not ashamed of it, you profess it with your mouth, you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when you believe in that, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection. You have the righteousness of Christ, meaning you have a right standing with God. You have the same standing with God that Jesus Christ did. So God sees you the same way that he sees his very own son. So that's the first question. Number two, is it consistent with the Bible? Or am I considering something that's out of God's will? Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. 
So you got to go to God's word. You got to go to God's word and go to God's word again. And don't change God's word. For a decision to pass the test, it's got to line up with all of scripture, not just some random verse. And it's crazy right now how culture and even some churches are, are taking things that are so clear in scripture and they're changing them. And, and, and they may do it, they'll, they'll, they'll pull out one verse and they'll base it on one, one verse and they don't interpret the Bible with the Bible to, to see what that verse really means. So don't change God's word. You line it up with all of scripture to see what it's saying and you're going to find that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. You do that, but you say, well, <laughs> Ryland, the Bible didn't tell me whether to move here or move there and doesn't tell me who to marry. And Well, that's why there's more tests. The, the third is, will it make me more like Christ? Does this decision carry with it the spirit of Jesus? Or to do this thing, is it going to draw me away from Jesus Christ's character? Ephesians 4, starting in verse 21, says, Since you have heard about Jesus... And have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. And so if it's going to take your character further away from Christ-likeness. It's not an option anymore. That decision, it's just off the table. It's number four, does my church family confirm it? And you've got to find someone in your church, in your life, who loves God and, and get some godly wisdom and godly counsel and hear them out. Um, I've surrounded myself with my church family on purpose so that I can test the impressions that I get. You get in that zone because of godly people around you. The Christian life, is not just about believing, it's about belonging. You're a part of a family. Now some people will say, no, you can go, you can commune with God, just you and God. You could go on a mountainside and have church service and, and be part of the church. And you could go to a lake or someplace beautiful. Or you can do this, you can do the Christian life by yourself. But to really believe that, you have to throw out a lot of verses in Scripture. In fact, you've got to throw out some whole chapters. And really, there's a few books of the Bible you've got to throw out altogether to really come to that conclusion. The Christian life is not just about believing. It's about belonging. I'll just give you part of this verse, and I chose this one because it relates to finding God's will. Ephesians 3.10, God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So if I get an interpretation of Scripture that no one else in 2,000 years of church history and Christianity has had, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Because truth is not new. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Okay? The gospel is relevant to us today because it's timeless. And so truth... It, it may be rediscovered, but it's never invented. And the step of getting godly counsel is important. Because if you can, you can find someone that tells you what you need to hear, you're in business. If you find someone who tells you what you want to hear, you find a lot of people that tell you what you want to hear. I think of King Ahab. We talked about him a couple weeks ago in the Old Testament. Uh, he went to 400 different prophets 
asking if he should go to war. And all of them told him what he wanted to hear. And someone asked Ahab, is there anybody else? And he said, well, yeah, there's one, but I hate him. That's what he said. I hate him. And there was one prophet who told him what he needed to hear, but he ignored him. The Bible says the wisdom of the righteous can save you. Godly counsel is absolutely critical. If mature believers in your life have a check on something, you need to run it through the other tests. And if you're about to make a decision and you feel resistance in telling godly people or the people in your life about that decision, that personal resistance is not from God. Number five, do I sense God's peace? Don't ever step outside of God's peace. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now this is where you've got to align with all six of these tests. Because peace doesn't mean it's always safe and, and not a risk. God will sometimes put you in a boat and send you out into a storm. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. In fact, the song that Chris and Teresa just sang, Oceans, is about... When Jesus put the disciples in a boat and pushed them off into a storm, and then Jesus shows up walking on water and calls Peter to come out and walk on the water. Safe? No. God's peace? Yes. And some people say, well, the safest place is in God's will. Eh. There's peace in God's will. I've been on mission trips with my dad where I'm like, we're not safe right now. (laughs) What are we doing? This ain't safe. But there's God's peace about it. And sometimes God, he kind of likes it. He'll put you in a situation where all you have is his peace. And you got to, do I sense God's peace? You know that song that they sang, Oceans, recently found out that is the number one downloaded Christian song ever. When I heard that, I, I went back and I was familiar with the song, but I just read the lyrics I thought it was amazing. It says, he calls me out to deepest waters. I think, you know, sometimes I want God to call me out. I want to be able to hang on to the edge of the pool. That'd be really nice. Or, God, you can call me out if, if I can stand. I need to be able to stand. It needs to be shallow enough to where I can stand. And God, you can call me out, but it'd be really nice if we could walk around in the kiddie pool together. And he says, no, we're, I'm calling you out to deepest waters where where we're going to get really close because all you're going to have is my peace. So if you feel pressured about it, that's, that's a bad sign because the Holy Spirit draws you gently. Satan pushes you fiercely. Uh, I'll give you a really practical example of this that you can take and use in your life. As a church, as an organization, as we've been around a little while now and and we've grown a little bit, there are a lot of people that want to come, salesmen, and they want to pitch us on on their thing that um, is going to help us do ministry better or or their process or their product or whatever. And there's a lot of good ones out there. In fact, you know, we have some subscriptions and different things that help us help us administrate the ministry. Um, but it's kind of fascinating. I picked up on it recently. What, what they do is they come and they pitch you on the product. And you say, okay, this looks pretty good. But I'm going to go think about it. And I'm going to talk to the guys about it. And I'll let you know. And they'll say, oh, that's fine. But this is on a deal. And it's on a sale. And the sale ends at noon today. So we need a decision right now. 
Well, if you need a decision right now, the decision's no. Because that's, it's a tactic, and nothing against those guys, but it's just the tactic that, and, that's, and really that's what the enemy does, is he wants to push you. He wants, he wants you to think, oh no, I've got to grab a hold of this now, I've got to do this now, I've got to make this decision now, I've got to go, 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 or I'm going to miss this opportunity. And this is the only opportunity I'll ever get. And, and he pushes you fiercely, but peace stands the test of time. So if you get an impression from God, does it last? That's a good sign. Does it stand the test of time? Because God's peace lasts. It's always there. It's drawing you. So you've got to ask, ask yourself, do I sense God's peace? But again, you've got to line it up with the other tests. You can't just go on that one. It's got it's to align with the other ones. Remember, God's never going to ask you to do something or be a part of something that's outside of his ways. Number six, is it my will or God's will? And really, if you wanted this message in three minutes, I would have just given you this one. And maybe right out to the side of it, the word really. So is it, is it my will or God's will, really? Like get real with yourself. One of the best things you can do in your life is start every day by saying to God, God, today I'm going to have some desires, I'm going to have opportunities, I'm going to have temptations. And my prayer is not what I want, but what you want, and not my will, but your will. Jesus modeled this. We talked about it last week. That Jesus, before he went to the cross, before he went to experience the wrath of God in our place, he said, my father, if it's possible, there's, there's any other way, Lord. May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And without hesitation, he, he aligned himself to the will of God. And he said, your will be done, your kingdom come. And that's got to be your prayer because no matter how many years you follow Christ and no matter how holy and righteous you become, there's going to be times where you have unholy desires and and you're going to have unrighteous desires. And you've got to say it. You've got to say every morning on your way to the place, every week in church, say, God, not my will, your will, not my way, not my plan, your way your plan. And there are many Christians out there who they don't really want God's will for their life. They want their will and they want God to bless it. And they'll make a condition out of it. They'll say, God, I want your will if. I want your will, but. I'll just just tell you this because you asked for it. (laughs) You can't live life inside the will of God if, if you're out if you're outside of his sovereign or moral will. You've got to turn your whole life, surrender your whole life, withholding nothing over to him. And here's how to say it. Just say, I want what God wants, period. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no conditions. I want what God wants, period. It may mean a hard decision. It may mean somebody's got to move out. It may mean something's got to happen. It may mean we've got to reorganize our life. It's worth it. There's peace on the other side. It's worth it. The hard decision is worth it. You got to come to a place where you say, I want what God wants, period, the end. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when you get to the point where you say, I want what God wants, period, when you get to the point where you're in that zone, where you're in God's ways and God's works, 
the extra point is good. The field goal is good. You can't miss when you're in that zone. It becomes a question of whatever. It just becomes a question of God. Whether it's at this job or this job, my mission is the same, and that is to do it for you and carry your name. And whether it's in this city or that city or, or whatever I'm doing, my mission is the same, and that's to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I want His will. Period. <laughs> I want your will. The end. Let's go to prayer about this. Let's pray. Well, I just want to lead you through a couple minutes of prayer. One of the best things you can do is surrender your life to the will of God. And I want to tell you something. There's peace on the other side. And it sounds so harsh to give up your will to God, to, to give up your life to God. Things that you planned and, and put in place and maybe even some things you hoped for and just to say, oh, I'm going to give them over to God and, and see what He wants. But there's peace on the other side. The most wonderful thing you can do in your life is put your hand... Put your life in his hands and say, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it God's way. And salvation is when you surrender the control of your life to him. When you say, not my will, but your will. And today, if you'd like to surrender your life to the will of God, uh, some of you have never believed Jesus for who he is and what he's done. You've never believed He's lived the perfect life. He died your death. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. For some of you, God orders your life, but there's still things that you're holding on to that you won't let go. I want to pray a prayer with you right now. Join with me in your hearts and minds. Jesus, today I surrender my life to your control. I trust you. I thank you. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for forgiveness. With all that I have and all that I am, I want to follow you. I give you my life. God, I thank you for everyone that is surrendering their life to you. Let them know that their sins have been forgiven and cleansed. That you're making them a home in heaven. And and you're giving them the power and the perspective to live according to your will. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.